Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor, powered by Christianity Today. Hey, JR, how's it going, buddy? Good to see you, Doug. Always great to be with you. Yeah, man. It's just, uh, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Yeah, and you're, you're, uh, you're resting up. You're doing well. Yes, I am doing well. I'm excited. We'll have a, a sabbatical update coming up here in a week, but yes, uh, I'm really excited about today because we get a chance to talk about something that happened uh, last uh, last Tuesday. There was a pretty significant uh, thing that took place in your life. You released another book, which is awesome. And dude, you've been like a book pumping out machine, man. I'm like <laughs> super proud. It's awesome. Way to go. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. So the book's called A Time to Heal. Uh, tell us about it. What, what, you know, what is this about? Yeah, I think the best way to talk about this is to share how the book came about because it, it, it really ties in well. The, uh, you know, we all like in, in March and April of 2020, you know, with everything shutting down and lockdown and the early parts of the virus, we were, we were saying like, you know, a lot of people weren't sleeping. Right. I mean, people went months before they had a good night's sleep. And I was one of those people. But it wasn't because that I was gripped by fear, or anxiety, or worry. Um, it was actually something that our mutual friend, Len Sweet, um, he posted something about the need for healing in this season and how this is the opportunity for the church. And I don't know what it was, but that thought just splintered in my mind and I couldn't get it out. And I just thought, oh man, I've got so many thoughts rolling around in my head. So when my family would go to bed at night, that's like when my mind would wake up. So 11, 11.30, I would come up to my office here and I would just start writing. And I would write and write and write and then my fingers just couldn't keep up with what my brain was trying to get out and onto the page. And it was about this topic of healing and making connections left and right. And oh, this is just an amazing opportunity for the church in the season after this global collective PTSD that we've all experienced. Like this is the chance for the church moving forward. And I would write until one or two, sometimes three o'clock in the morning, and I wouldn't even know it. I would just be so exhausted, amped up, wired, like I was just waking up. And I would go to bed physically exhausted, but mentally and spiritually so energized. And mm. I did that every night for five weeks. I just couldn't sleep. I had so much running around in my head, so much kind of nervous energy. Um, and of course, I was thinking about the world and people who are uh, being affected and hurt by the virus and all the implications. And I just went up to my office and would just write and write and write. And Doug, this has never happened because a book takes about a year, sometimes a year and a half, sometimes longer than that. This has never happened of the books that I've, I've written or co-written or contributed to. Everything just like, just like dropped and downloaded. And in five weeks, the book was written. <laughs> and that has never happened before. Uh, probably will never happen again. Now, again, there were tweaks and edits and sm right. slight changes, but the, the first draft of the book was finished um, in five weeks. And wow. uh, so I say all that to say that this book is not about the pandemic, hmm. but it is in the midst of the pandemic that it was written because we have this now shared, collected, um, as Mako Fujimura, who's been on the podcast before, said, this is our, our connective tissue that holds us together. Um, the pain and the wounds and the uncertainty that's happened. And so the whole world has been wounded in the midst of this. And I think that story um, has been really important. Another interesting story, some of, some of our listeners know that I came down really bad um, with the virus. Our family got it in March, this past March. And um, our two sons got it, felt like a cold and kind of a sore throat. 
my wife, it felt like the flu for several days. And then she returned to full health. Fortunately, I was the last to get it and got it very severely enough that, um, after seven days, I was just coughing and felt like I was wearing a life jacket too small. I just couldn't get a full breath and telehealth with the doctor. And she said, you need to go to the emergency room. You're going from low risk to high risk right now. You need to go. And I thought I'll be there for three hours and uh, get some a prescription and come home. You know, just had a little backpack with a book and toothbrush just in case, you know, but I'm coming home. And they found that I had COVID pneumonia and more concerning uh, a blood clot on my left lung. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we've known people who have friends that have died of blood clots on their long, lungs from COVID in this last year. And so it's obviously very concerning. So they said, we're going to admit you to the COVID ICU. And so it was obviously very serious and spent 24 hours in there. Um, and I just had to chuckle because two hours prior to driving to the emergency room at Doylestown Hospital, uh, I had officially submitted to the project manager, the editor, and the publisher, yes, everything is all done. Go print it. It's all ready to go. So I send off the final touches of the book called A Time to Heal. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get admitted a few hours later to the COVID ICU. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, now it's my time to heal. (laughs) I write the book. And I imagine God's up there going, yeah, you don't think you could just write on this book of healing. <laughs> you you got to go through it, bro. And, uh, so anyway, all that to say, I'm in it. And, and I, I admit, Doug, I, it was scarier. And I'm not sure I fully processed um, how scary it was. Um, you know, sort of feeling like I was living the news of, of just, I've, I've visited as a pastor several people in the ICU. I've never been in a bed in the ICU. And so to be flipped was just very scary in the midst of the beeps and the tubes and the wires. And it, because it's COVID too, nurses have to completely gown up and glove up. So they say, I'm coming in in 10 minutes. Be thinking through what you need. Do you need more Motrin? I'm going to check your drip. Do you need an extra blanket? Because I can't just come in and out. They have to actually gown up and glove up and put booties on their feet before they walk in your room because of COVID. You know, they're masked with a shield. I mean, it just, the complexities of COVID ICU are just unreal. And I had more tubes and wires on me than a cell phone tower. And I just, it was the only time in my life I'm laying on my side, which is good for your lungs and breathing. They said, you're going to have to sleep on your side. And it was the only time in my life, Doug, that I was afraid to fall asleep. Mm. I slept for about 20 minutes that night because I thought, I don't know if I'm going to wake up. Mm. And that's a really scary feeling. I tell all this to tell you that I had a, I had four nurses during those shifts, but one of them, Brenda, um, I was so exhausted when I woke up and I was about to be discharged. And right before discharge, I said, I don't feel well. I feel like I have a fever. And for, she checked and sure enough, I had a fever. And so she said, we can't discharge you with a fever right now. It's just discouraged. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm out of my mind because I'm just so, the COVID brain fog is real. And, it, and I had been calm. It just felt surreal to me. And I was just laying on my side and she said, I'll be back in 10 minutes. Can I get you anything? Do you need more Motrin? Um, do you want something to eat? Um, do, you, do you need a, a warm blanket? And I said, no. And she turned to leave and then she turned back to me and she said, and would you like a back rub? Wow. And without even thinking, I said, yes. 
I'm laying on my side. Again, you got that gown on, so my back is exposed. And Doug, she started rubbing my back. And I have never wept so violently in my adult life. Mm. Wailing. Even the point that other nurses were coming to check on our room to make sure everything was okay. Mm. It startled me. It startled her. Um, and I said, I'm sorry. I have no idea where this is coming from. And I think it all hit me. But for 15 minutes, she just provided healing of all the medical things, the, the expensive medicines and the IVs and the tubes and the wires and the EKGs and the CAT scans that I did. And the most healing thing for me when I was in the ICU was when she gave me a 15-minute background. Hmm. And I just thought, oh, man, I just did all this study and wrote a book on the healing presence and touch of Jesus. And I just experienced that healing through touch. In your most vulnerable state, when you want people that love you to come visit you, they're not allowed because of COVID. You're lonely. You're vulnerable. You're exhausted. You're scared. And she says, do you want a back rub? Mm. It was exactly what I needed. Mm. So I tell all that, I tell that story of, you know, I get admitted right after I submit a time to heal. Now it's my time to heal. But that back rub from Brenda taught me something that it wasn't just in theory that Jesus heals through touch. And I started to think about the stories of the lepers and the stories of the times where Jesus would reach out and touch people, where other people would reach out and touch Jesus, like the woman subject, you know, to bleeding. And Touch and healing. I think in a Me Too movement, we have to be careful the pendulum doesn't swing so far the other way. The inappropriate touching absolutely is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But we have to be careful to make sure the pendulum doesn't swing the other way and we assume that all touch is inappropriate. Mm. And I'm really fearful in our Me Too movement era here that we just won't ever touch again. And especially when we're social distancing and we're kind of used to not touching or hugging or embracing. I really feel like this is an opportunity to remember, you know, Jesus healed through his touch. He healed through his words. And then, you know, there are times where Jesus healed with his spit, which in a pandemic is just really bizarre to think about. Um, but, but the healing touch of Jesus, there will be a time where we will return to being able to touch people again. And I think that's one of many ways that the church can join with Jesus in this. And the book that I picked up right off the shelf at the beginning of the pandemic to reread, which I do often, but this was my time, was The Wounded Healer by Henry mm -hmm. Nouwen. And the connections from The Wounded Healer and what Len Sweet was saying and what I was seeing in the world kind of coalesced into this book. Mm. And, you know, Jesus was the great wounded healer, right? I mean, even his own wounds, he said, he said to Thomas, come touch me, put your finger in my side, put your hands on my, on my hands and mm. see my scars. And I think that it's easy for us to say, I have too many uh, wounds in my own life. I can't be a part of the healing. And I just remind people that Jesus's resurrected body still had scars. on, And that means that we carry our scars and our wounds and we offer it to a world that needs it. And, we, and, and actually, ironically, mysteriously, that becomes part of the healing that we give to the world is when we honestly, vulnerably, authentically give our wounds to other people as well. So 
it's a the book is a small book. It's only a little over a hundred pages. It's really compact, but um, the goal was to make it succinct and accessible, but also to make it a practical guide for people that say, "Okay, I get it. We've been wounded. Now what? How do we go about doing that?" And uh, so it's for anybody, but I think it's especially for leaders. And I I think of two quotes that have been really helpful. One of them is from Nowen, who said, "I'm convinced." that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. And that's the, the rooting, um, the anchoring part of this is we're not the perfect ones. We're, we're the imperfect wounded ones coming to talk about the message of the perfect Jesus who provides the wounds or the healing to our wounds. And then Parker Palmer he said the leader has a special responsibility to pay attention to what's happening inside of himself or herself, lest the act of leadership do more harm than good. Mm. And so if we're going to heal others in the name of Jesus, we've got to make sure that we are aware of our own wounds where we need healing, because if not, we can inflict that onto a lot of people. Mm. Um, and Richard Rohr said, what, what you don't transform, the pain you don't transform, you will transmit. Yep. And uh, we certainly don't want to do that. So anyway, that's a lot, but that's, this is such a moment for us in our, in the world when it comes to the role of the church. Mm -hmm. I was excited a year ago thinking this is our moment. And I think we actually blew it with the division and the fear and the sort of turning inward for, for preservation. But I believe in the next three to five years, once we come out of the pandemic, this is one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities in our lifetime because we've all been wounded. We've all been affected directly or indirectly. How will the church respond? That's what is driving this book. So JR, I feel like there's so many different questions that are rolling in my head <laughs> that I want to ask, but the one that seems to be settling the most is what would you have to say to that leader who is just now recognizing his or her own woundedness yeah. in this? Yeah. The first thing I think is, is uh, being able to name that. Um, because if we go in thinking we aren't wounded or we don't have wounds, then um, we, like I said, we can inflict a lot of pain. And so I think just being open with it, that we need to learn appropriateness, right? We don't just air our dirty laundry to everybody. However, a, being appropriately vulnerable with others is a way of saying, I have wounds. I mean, I love how Jesus initiated and said, let me show you my wounds, right? I, I love that Caravaggio painting hmm. of Jesus and Thomas, right? Um, and it's a beautiful painting of Jesus exposing himself. So if Jesus can expose himself vulnerably and I follow him, so can I. Uh, I can expose myself vulnerably to others and offer, as Nowen said, just my vulnerable self to the world. Um, and some of that's a journal. Some of that's some good friends. Some of that's uh, a counselor or spiritual director to help us work through that. Um, but it's also realizing we're not alone. Everybody is feeling wounded. Every single person. It could be economic racial, relational, financial, uh, you know, obviously physical, a mental, a mental health 
uh, issues have spiked uh, in this season. Um, as we know, uh, domestic abuse uh, cases. I mean, it's just, it's wreaked so much havoc and it still is, right? And, and you know, depending on which week we are here in the United States, it could be up, it could be down. We know India right now, as of the moment, India is, is just wreaking havoc on India. Mm-hmm. So what's the role of, even of the global church, the American church, mm-hmm. of wanting to just do what we can to provide healing in the name of Jesus to India? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, there are a lot of implications personally, mi- missionally, mm-hmm. uh, even ecclesiologically right now. Yeah. Well, and I really appreciate even just your story of being in the ICU and the power of touch and experiencing, yeah, what it is to actually like the power of human touch, but even in the power of human touch in the name of Jesus has like a sanctified power to it. So what are some ways that the church, that leaders can be present and physical in, in this season that we are in, that we're called to be healers? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. I want to start with a Mr. Rogers story because I think yes. it actually anchors us yes. toward that. So, you know, and it's, and it's been quoted before um, when there's tragedy or trauma that occurs. Um, Mr. Rogers said, when I was a kid and I would see scary things, my mom would always say to me, look for the healers or look for the helpers. Mm. The helpers are always there if you look for them. And I would agree with that. But if I could take mama, uh, mama Rogers words <clears throat> just a little bit and tweak them, I say, the world's looking for helpers, but they're looking for a special kind of helper, and we're looking for people that will help us heal. Hmm. So I would actually say the world is looking for healers right now. So if the world is looking around right now, the question of the book is, if the world is looking, will they look to us, the church, or will they just look past us to look for other things? Um, pop psychology, you know, transcendental meditation, whatever. Are they going to look elsewhere? Or are they going to look, look to us? So what can we do? If we're convinced of that, what can we do? And I think um, we need to look at a few things. We need to look at our own wounds. We talked about that. So if people are looking for the healers, we need to look at ourselves first and say, where are we at? Obviously, we need to look to Jesus because that is the anchoring of all of this. Doug, you know, one of the passages that has really lit me on fire uh, in the midst of the last year and is written about in the book is Numbers 21, which I know was in people's devotions this morning, so I won't go into it in great detail. <laughs> But in Numbers 21, that's that really awesome, but really jolting, confusing, somewhat disturbing story of the Israelites complaining and God sends snakes in the wilderness, on the wilderness floor to bite them. And many, of them many of them get sick. Many of them die. And God in his mercy, which doesn't sound merciful, but it is, he's in his mercy, he tells Moses, I want you to make a wooden pole and I want you to erect a bronze snake and put it up there and lift it up in the desert. So when people are sick, if they look to the snake, the bronze snake, they will be healed, which is really interesting because the snake was the source of their sickness. But if they look at this one, it's going to actually take away the sickness. So I wonder what that was like for people to look at a snake when that's the very thing that's going to provide them healing. So that is the really cool thing. So then the connection there, Jesus is with Nicodemus in John chapter three. We all know John 3.16, but the two verses before it, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the rod or the pole in the wilderness, when people looked to it were healed, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that anyone who looks will also be healed. And uh, I just thought, oh yeah, the cursed one was raised on a wooden pole, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus on the cross 
if we looked at so Jesus actually compares himself and uses the story of Numbers 21 as a way to set up as an assist for the slam dunk of John 3.16. We don't often think of Numbers 21, but that is absolutely connected to the John 3.16 passage. And we don't ever see that connection there. And so what we do is we put a sign out in front of our church that says Jesus saves and people go, uh, okay. I mean, we've seen that for years on billboards. And, but the word sozo, which means to heal, to deliver, also means to save. So the sozo Jesus, it's not a different gospel, but if we turn the gem just a little bit, a different facet of the light bouncing off the word sozo is Jesus heals. How does he heal? He saves. How does he save? He heals. Same word. So what would it look like if every Christian billboard or every church marquee, instead of saying Jesus saves in the next three to five years in this next season, what if instead they said Jesus heals? The good news is that Jesus is the healer of all our racial, emotional, physical, mental, economic, financial uh, wounds that we've experienced through this season. So I think it's looking to Jesus, the one on the pole, uh, the one who became cursed on our behalf so that we could experience healing. We look to ourselves. We look to Jesus, most uh, importantly. uh, And then we help the world look to see that Jesus is that. We don't just preach about it. We do it. And so what do we do? Here, Very practically, here are a couple things. I think we look to our own congregation and see the kinds of people that God has brought to us. Think of the counselors, the social workers that exist uh, within your congregation, the therapists. How about those in the medical profession, the nurses, the physical therapists, the doctors, uh, the PAs, the physicians that are providing healing professionally? How about the artists that can actually help people through art therapy? Uh, do that. Imagine if churches began to host art therapy of helping people heal in the midst of this, or people that have dogs. We all know about animal therapy and dog therapy and just say, what would that look like if we just said, hey, come, we, we're willing to share our dogs with anybody that just, that would be helpful. We'll visit you in the hospital, you know, when we're allowed because of COVID uh, to be able to bring our animals in when it's appropriate, you know, that if they're trained appropriately. So I think, um, how about people who are businessmen and women in the church that have a financial background, that people who've been devastated They've lost a job. Maybe a restaurant has gone out of business when they were a restaurant owner. To have other business people within the church help them build a financial plan and to move forward with free financial advice, you know, to support people in that. There are so many things in our own congregation that if we just take a moment to think about the people who are already involved in some sort of healing, repairing ministry, and then train them and teach them how to do that in the name of Jesus, it's amazing what can happen. So there's that. Also, look outside of your particular church. You may not see eye to eye with everybody or every organization or nonprofit, but in your or in your city, there are organizations and businesses and nonprofits that are wired and designed to help people heal. So how can you link arms formally and informally with those where two plus two equals seven in a synergistic relationship? And then lastly, I would say this: look for younger people or for potential healers, that they may not work in a field of healing, or they may be a teenager or college student. Let's not assume they're just at home um, taking pictures of selfies and posting their food uh, on Instagram all the time. 
they there there is a generation that longs to be a part of making a difference in the world and right now healing is a huge part of that invite them off the bench and say i know you're only a teenager but you're not only a teenager you have an amazing opportunity to be able to help your classmates heal or you're a gifted artist will you help join this guild of artists that might be a part of art therapy so this idea of looking is really important and so i think if we can help people look inside to look to Jesus, the, the, the cursed one on the pole that, that actually provided our healing, to look in our congregation for those and how they work, to look outside our congregation to link arms and to look for the next generation or those on the bench, mm. to call them off the bench and into the game. Lots of looking, but I think part of it is just being aware of the opportunities before us. Jared, I feel like you've just painted this beautiful picture of taking a word like we focus so much of our time and attention as the church in terms of how do we get people saved? Yeah. And so you're flipping that word and saying, actually, it's the same word, but how do we actually look at this as a time to heal? How do we get people healed? And I really appreciate how the way that you look at this is not that this is completely centric on the pastor as the one who's doing all of the healing, but it's actually saying, the pastor's job is to is to be the quarterback or to be the coach who's just sort of helping to get people on the field in the right positions to say, now it's your turn, go do it. So I feel like, how, how do we help transition leaders' brains to begin to think in that direction? Or, you know, you might be a pastor right now thinking that like, man, I don't have anybody in my church, you know, who could really do any of this stuff. Or maybe their imagination hasn't been fully uh, hasn't fully come alive, but like, what would be some steps that you would say would be helpful for leaders to be thinking outside of this as something, a project that they need to take on to a project that they need to steward? Yeah. Great question. I think that if we read the gospels just in our private time, in our devotional time, if we read the gospels through the lens of healing, it would change the way we think about healing in general. So that, for me, I feel like I put on a new pair of glasses to be able to see, oh, if you see it through that lens. And then Dr. Phil Monroe, who we've had on the podcast before, he's the head of the Trauma Healing Institute at the American Bible Society, fantastic resource. He helped me understand this immensely when he said this. He said, the Bible was written to a group of traumatized people. Ooh. And if we can see, that the Bible was written to people who've experienced deep trauma. That is good news to those people. And then he just did this exercise with us in a, in a webinar that he and I co-hosted. He said, I, he invited everybody on the webinar. He said, I want you to list all of the traumatic experiences that people in scripture went through. And he said, just take a couple minutes, write them down, and then share them. There were dozens and dozens and dozens. Mm. I mean, just think of Jesus's own experience. I mean, think of Mary and Joseph, right? The trauma of social, being socially cast out. Think of the trauma that Bethlehem experienced of every family has a murdered two-year-old boy or under, two, two or under. What does that do? I mean, these were Mary and Joseph's friends, right? These were people that you were intimately connected with in the village. And that's a lot of trauma already at the beginning of Jesus's life. And so, but, but I mean, you go back through, I mean, story of Joseph in the Old Testament. That's a story of incredible trauma. Moses, in, incredible trauma. Uh, Pharaoh, you know, the, the, 
the Israelites, there's so much trauma. So all that to say, if we can see that the Bible was written to a group of traumatized people from start to finish, we will begin to see the availability and how trauma's always been here, but now it's heightened and intensified and now collective PTSD. So that's the first thing is just our own discovery of how central healing is to responding to wounds and loss and trauma. Um, that's, that's the first one. The second one is just, I mean, I think it's not just missiological, Doug. I think it's practical. If it's all up to the pastor to provide all the healing, if we're going to be exhausted and burned out. Yeah, you'll, you'll need a sabbatical. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and everything bottlenecks yeah. to you, then the mission of God means it can only come through you. Mm. But if we remember that the priesthood of all believers is not just something we should preach, but actually something that we should prepare and unleash and equip our people into, that the in Acts chapter 2, the flames uh, of fire, the tongues of fire were over everyone's head, not just the seminary trained or the ordained, but everyone then we can realize that everybody can be equipped in this. And I loved how Phil, Phil Monroe actually said, you can just ask a few questions of people, just the act of good question asking and listening. You can train people in just a few questions like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What do you need today? How can I serve and love you today? And for those with severe trauma or severe wounds or anxiety of getting through the day to just say, how did you get through the day yesterday? What will you need today to get through the day? He said, just simple things like that. And then shutting up so people can actually talk and be seen and be heard and known. So there are some easy ways. And I actually think the Trauma Healing Institute is doing a fantastic job with that at, at the American Bible Society. And so I think those would be some great resources. But I, I really think that pastors... Uh, th this is our evangelistic opportunity. Um, this is the way moving forward. And um, yeah, if we, if we fail to do this, I think we will have missed out on an incredibly ripe opportunity um, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to be about healing. I want my people to be about healing. Will you join me? And I want the world to be able to look around and say, I may not fully understand those Christians, but I'll tell you, they have helped me heal and they want me to heal. And um, so. Those, those, are, those are some things that I think are really crucial for us in this season. Yeah, I really appreciate, that, appreciate all of this, JR, because it does, it, it seems like there is a, we did, like the church missed out on a fantastic opportunity. And yet, in God's grace and mercy, there is a season that we're entering into where the church can begin to, to step into what God has called us to, to be the bride, to be the one that <laughs> sits down at the backside of someone who is sitting in the ICU and just is able to give a back rub in the name of Jesus. And I feel like the way that you are shaping this and the way that God has downloaded this into your brain that you wrote over five weeks um, is just a gift to us as pastors, to us as leaders. Now, I think, and just as we're kind of landing the plane, right? So the book just came out last week. Where do we get it? Where can we find it? Yeah, it's real easy. The book actually has its own website and it's the title of the book what plus the word book. So it's a time to heal book.com. Nice. So com. Easiest way people can find out about it. Awesome. And as we sort of end our time together, JR, could you send us out with a benediction? Yeah. Yeah, brothers and sisters, all of us in the midst of our wounds, in the midst of our trauma, our loss, our pain, 
go knowing that Jesus was the one that knew that, the suffering servant, the one who experienced those wounds on our behalf, who was the cursed one raised up on a pole that if we look to him, we'll be healed. May we know that that healing is not just for us. It's for us to experience and then turn around and invite other people into that healing as well. So go knowing that even in your wounds, you have much to offer to the world in the name of Jesus. You don't have to be qualified as a doctor or a nurse or a psychologist. You can go as you are in the name of Jesus and be used in the power of the Holy Spirit to see healing occur in our world because the world is looking for healers right now. And may they, as you submit yourselves to what God is up to, may they look at you and identify you as a healer pointing people in the direction of the great wounded healer himself, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah.